What's up, this your boy Lil Duval, and check out my podcast, Conversations with Unc, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Each and every Tuesday, Conversations with Unc podcast feature casuals and in-depth talk about ebbs and flows of life and the pursuit of happiness. Unlike my work on stage, I tap into a more serious and sensitive side to give life advice and simply offer words of encouragement, yet remind folks to never forget to laugh. Every Tuesday, listen to Conversations with Unc, hosted by Lil Duval on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. This episode is brought to you by Navy Federal Credit Union. At Navy Federal, it's been the mission to help the military community for over 90 years. And not just help them, but do everything to make sure they not only grow, but flourish. That's why Navy Federal Credit Union has all kinds of great savings and investment options, like share certificates with sky-high rates. So don't hesitate. Start growing your finances today with a variety of savings and investment options. Navy Federal Credit Union. Our members are the mission. Savings products insured by NCUA. Investment products are not insured. Not obligations of Navy Federal and may lose value. Whether you're a savvy spender maximizing your savings with cashback rewards, a thrifty rate watcher seeking the lowest interest, or a travel enthusiast looking for extraordinary perks, Kemba Financial Credit Union has a visa to complement your lifestyle and unique needs. Apply today at Kemba.org to unlock a limited time 2% cash back on purchases and pay 0% interest on balance transfers for an entire year with a new visa from Kemba. You deserve a card that works for you. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024. Hello and welcome back to Movie Mike's Movie Podcast. I am your host, Movie Mike, and today we're talking about movies celebrating birthdays, movies turning 10, 20, 30, 40, and 50 years old, and then we're going to play the fun game of which of these movies from each of these years are we going to save and which ones are we going to burn from existence. In the movie review, we'll be talking about Argyle, a movie that I've seen the trailer so many times that it's going to have to live up to this crazy expectation I have set for it because they spent so much money marketing this movie, and in the trailer park, We're going to look at Ghostbusters, the new Frozen Empire movie, and determine whether or not people care about this movie right now. From a legendary franchise, you have people coming back in this movie, but do kids today even care about Ghostbusters? That is the question. Thank you for listening. Thank you for being subscribed. Shout out to the Monday Morning Movie Crew. And now, let's talk movies. In a world where everyone and their mother has a podcast. One man stands to infiltrate the ears of listeners like never before in a movie podcast. A man with so much movie knowledge, he's basically like a walking IMDb with glasses. From the Nashville Podcast Network, this is Movie Mike's Movie Podcast. I got a big old list of movies celebrating birthdays this year. Talking about movies turning 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 years old. So what I did, I compiled the top 10 from each of these years, which to go into consideration, I scoured the internet looking at box office numbers, looking at critic scores, looking at the most searched about movies according to Google. And for each of these years, I have what made the top 10. I'll rank them one through 10. And then we're gonna play the fun game where I pick the one movie that I would save out of all of those 10. And then also, Just for funsies, we're going to set one on fire. If I could eliminate one of these movies from existence out of these top tens from the year, we're going to get rid of them. So let's get right into the list, right into the game. Movies turning 10 years old this year. They came out in 2014. I was 23 years old at the time. 
The number 10 movie of the year is Nightcrawler, which is such a good movie starring Jake Gyllenhaal. This was the one that solidified him in my mind as somebody who could really do it all. He had the look in this movie. He went to places that I kind of question exactly what happens with Jake Gyllenhaal behind closed doors because he played this character so well, who is this photographer who really takes it up as a hobby and realizes he can make money by taking pictures and videos from crime scenes because if it bleeds, it leads. So he got so obsessed with it that he went a step further and a step further and then the whole movie gets crazy. So if you have just one vision of Jake Gyllenhaal in your head, maybe it's more on the rom-com side, maybe it's more just on the straight-on action side. If you haven't seen Nightcrawler, could not recommend it more. But that one comes in at number 10. At number 9 is Fury, which is one of my favorite war movies of all time. Maybe it's because Brad Pitt's in it. Maybe because it has a little bit of Shia LaBeouf. The entire cast is amazing in Fury. And just a really powerful story. And told with just the right amount of grit and the right amount of war action. At number seven is Gone Girl. It is one of those movies that'll blow your mind the first time you watch it. At number six, American Sniper, which gave me quite the trip to go see this movie in theaters one that i'd remember vividly this was one where very specific moments i remember in this movie where the entire theater was shocked and you could just almost feel that energy it was palpable and man some really great war stories here in 2014 that one's at number six at number five we're getting into the marvel stuff you have captain america the winter soldier at number four guardians of the galaxy at number three is whiplash which to some people this is their favorite movie of all time this one took me a little bit to get first time i watched whiplash i was like huh, that was interesting jk simmons is good miles teller is good but it really took all the nominations to come out and people hyping this movie up so much that I had to go back and watch it and think, was that really that good? And every now and then a clip of it will get posted on TikTok and I'll be like, okay, I get it now. But it took me a little bit to really warm up to the impactfulness of Whiplash. And yes, on the surface, it is a movie about drumming, but there's also so much more to that. At number two is Boyhood, which was a movie that was shot over several years. And that was really the whole, I don't want to call it a gimmick, but the whole premise in this movie, what really made this movie appealing to critics and why people really made this a notable movie was because of the way they filmed it. Got together every few years and filmed parts of the movie. That way, in the film, you were actually watching these characters age. Aside from that, I really don't remember exactly what happens in Boyhood. Just a story about, well, kid growing up. But at number one on the list from 2014 is Interstellar. You could argue this is one of the best sci-fi movies of all time, and I wouldn't call you crazy if you told me that. Another movie that took me a couple of watches to really love and understand, more than a couple, maybe even three or four, that once I actually went back, and it is a long movie, and sat with the idea of it, appreciated the way that Matthew McConaughey just oozes emotion at all the right moments in this movie, and you think about the entire idea behind Interstellar, quite magnificent but you would really expect no less from christopher nolan so out of those top 10 if i could only keep one call me basic but i'm keeping number one mainly because out of all the sci-fi movies in the last 10 years this one barely makes the cut it is the one that just has it all when it comes to the visual aspect of it the storyline the cast the cinematography and the score in interstellar is one of christopher nolan's best so I'm going to have to keep Interstellar. 
And the movie that I'm going to burn, and maybe I was a little biased when talking about it earlier, but it's Boyhood. Boyhood is going up in flames. <laughs> and the reason is, everybody told me how amazing Boyhood is. And when I watched it, quite honestly, I was bored. I got it. I understood the appeal of it, the dramatic side of it. It's about a family, people getting divorced, all these coming-of-age things that happen to one kid in particular, and you see the kid actually grow up on screen. But aside from that, I don't really think it's that good of a movie. It's fine. It's artistic. But I watched it once, and I never need to watch it again. So if I had to get one movie... So if I had to get rid of one movie turning 10 this year, it would be Boyhood. See you later. All right, moving on now to 2004. 20 years ago, I was a mere 13 years old. Teenage me was... Oh, wow, all the fire came back. All right. That's the thing about fires. You got to keep an eye on them. They get out of control. But yeah, 13-year-old me, pimply-faced, not a whole lot different than I am now. Greasy, yeah, greasy, listening to punk rock. I'm basically the same person that I was at 13 now. And the 2000s were just so formative in my years of loving movies. And also back when I was a teenager, had all the time in the world and I had no friends. So it was the perfect combination for somebody to really dive into their love of movies. This was still in the day of DVDs and not only DVDs, but burn DVDs that your friends would make for you. What is a burn DVD if you were under the age of maybe 18? It is where you would get a file and put a CD or a blank DVD into your computer. Yes, computers used to have discs. You'd throw that disc in there and you would burn that file. I don't really know how you burn a CD, but you would hit record or hit whatever and put that movie file onto that physical thing. And that physical thing, you would slide into your DVD hole. And on that DVD, you would hit play and you could watch a movie. And piracy was so rampant in the 2000s. But that is how I watched a lot of movies. You'd get the blank DVD because we were broke. We couldn't buy every single movie on DVD from Walmart for 20 bucks. Or we would go get a used copy at the flea market. Shout out to Trader's Village in Granbury, Texas, where they would also sell fake burn DVDs. But from the year 2004, the top 10 movies turning 20 this year at number 10, Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. I'm looking at the posters in this studio as I do this show. The one looking right at me. Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. 2004, one of my favorite movies of all time. At number nine is Anchorman. Getting into some great comedies here. 2004 was a great year for comedies. Following it up, at number eight, you have Mean Girls. At number seven, we have Lord of the Rings, The Return of the King. At number six, we have National Treasure. Nick Cage doing what he does best. I'm going to steal the Declaration of Independence. Yes, that movie. Oh, man, I watched that movie so many times in school. I know we were just talking about that last week, but I feel like every history teacher I had from 2004 to 2009 was throwing on National Treasure on any single movie day. At number five, The Day After Tomorrow. An underrated movie, and I'm glad it comes in at number five, really because that movie made a lot of money at the box office, and disaster films always get the raw end of the deal when it comes to critic scores. But look at it landing at number five. That means it made some money. That means this movie is so memorable from the 2000s. You also have Jake Gyllenhaal in there, too. So, man, what a career that guy's had. 
And that is a movie that Kelsey and I will just watch whenever we need a little comfort movie. I don't know what it is about disaster movies, but that is kind of our thing. We just want to watch something to make us feel good. Movie. If it's not Twister, it is usually the day after tomorrow. At number four from Pixar, we have The Incredibles. Not only are we in the golden age of comedy, but we are also in the golden age of animation, in particular with Pixar, who came out with banger after banger after banger in the early 2000s. One of their best ones ever came out in 2004 at number four with The Incredibles. At number three, Harry Potter and the Prisoner of Azkaban. I think that movie is 20 years old now. It's mind-blowing to me because... I guess I always identify with the Harry Potter movies feeling fresh, new, and modern. But the further and further we get away from them, I start to worry that young people who are exposed to them will think that they look so old and dated. That would be like me looking at movies from the 70s and thinking, those are so old, boring, and dumb, and I'm not going to watch them. But maybe it's just because of me and everybody has this different perspective. But I feel like the world changed so much from the 70s to the 90s than they did from 2004 to 2024. So again, the idea of that just blows my mind, and I don't want to think about it. So let's move on to number two, Spider-Man 2, which on paper is the best Spider-Man movie. It has the formula. It gets right into the action. It eliminates the need for an origin story. Doc Ock as an incredible villain. Tobey Maguire and Kirsten Dunst's chemistry in this movie is unmatched. They really had the best chemistry out of any single Spider-Man couple, rivaled only by Zendaya and Tom Holland. And I think looking back now, that is really what sets those movies apart, is their love story and being so connected to the comics. Spider-Man 2 is going to be a hard one not to pass up. And at number one, the top movie of 2004 from critics and from box office scores is Shrek 2. A lot of people say they love Shrek 2 more than they love the original. For me, it's all about the original, the one that started it all. That one is so much more memorable to me. And then it really diminished with the third and the fourth one. And they're supposed to be making another one. But in its heyday, Shrek was so dominant. And it's because it was poking fun at all of the fairy tale movies, at really just animation in general. And it really was just a fun parody movie marketed towards kids, but there was a lot of adult humor in the Shrek movies, which I think is why they were successful and they crossed over into the adult world. And they kind of started that trend too of making movies for kids, but also putting things in there for the adults. So now, when it comes to what movie I'm going to save and burn from the 2004 year, this one's tough. I love Spider-Man. As I record this episode in the studio, if you don't follow me on TikTok and Instagram or the YouTube channel, you can always see the set behind me. It's all Spider-Man comics. It's a big Spider-Man painting that a listener did for me. It is hard for me not to pick Spider-Man 2, but there are a lot of other Spider-Man movies that I love and I could go watch if I had to still in this collection. So I think the movie I'm going to keep is Harry Potter and the Prisoner of Azkaban that recently just entered into my top two Harry Potter movie. It is hard for me to get past my love of the first one, but over the Christmas break, Kelsey and I rewatched all the Harry Potter movies. And then at the end of fall, we also went to go see a movie in the park where they show it on this big inflatable screen and you get to watch it with a bunch of people laying out in the lawn. We watched Harry Potter and the Prisoner of Azkaban. And that movie is just so good from start to finish and so important and so different than all the other Harry Potter movies in the series 
that it has become my second favorite. Ooh, so it's really tough, but I'm gonna have to go with Harry Potter and the Prisoner Azkaban of the movie to keep. That's my 2004 pick and the movie I'm getting rid of. I would get rid of this entire franchise if I could. Let's throw it into the flames. Lord of the Rings, The Return of the King. Critics love these movies. I could live without them. Put it in the flames. There we go. All right, moving on now to 30 years ago. I was a mere three years old in 1994. The top 10 movies from the year, according to box office, critics scores, and the most searched movies on Google. At number 10 is Clerks, which is surprising. Not the most financially successful movie from director Kevin Smith, but one that was done so cheaply that has remained the blueprint for a lot of young filmmakers. At number 10 is Clerks. I love that it made the list. At number nine is True Lies, starring the one and only Arnold Schwarzenegger and Jamie Lee Curtis. I remember not being allowed to watch this movie growing up. It's fine. I don't know why I made it into the top 10. Because 1994 is arguably one of the best years in cinema of all time. There are a lot of movies that didn't make this top 10, but the fact that True Lies made it at number 9 is shocking to me. At number 8, Ace Ventura, Pet Detective. This is a movie that shouldn't be as popular as it is, and it really shows you the landscape of movies in the 90s that were so ridiculous and so out there. What you really got in the 90s was a mix of really great dramas, a lot of movies that were really heavy like The Green Mile, Schindler's List, and some other ones that we'll get into later on this list. But then you also just had really stupid movies with Jim Carrey talking out of his butt in Ace Ventura. That is the 90s, everybody. At number seven, Pulp Fiction, the movie that put Quentin Tarantino on the map after this movie came out. Everybody wanted to get their own version of Pulp Fiction made. And I know this movie had a lot of critical acclaim, but I was also surprised to see that it actually did really well at the box office back in the 90s. At number six, you have The Mask. At number five, you have Speed, the movie with the bus that cannot slow down. That is how you describe Speed. Great movie. But one, I don't really go back and watch Speed because you already know what happens and the thrill of it is gone. So as far as 90s movies, I don't think that's the most rewatchable. At number four, Dumb and Dumber, which was my favorite comedy for, I don't know, ever. If ever I got like a survey in school, like, what's your favorite movie? It would always be Dumb and Dumber growing up. I watched this movie so much. I can quote every single line in this movie, basically, even the dumb ones. Like, big gulps, huh? All right, see you later. I can see now why old people say they don't make them like they used to. At number three, you have The Shawshank Redemption. At number two, you have Forrest Gump. And at number one, you have The Lion King. Those are all movies turning 30 years old. Look at that list. To think that all these movies came out in one calendar year. Not even just good movie after good movie. Classic after classic. These movies are dominant in their genres. Lion King, one of the best animated movies of all time. Forrest Gump is not only one of the best dramas, just... Hands down, if you told me your favorite movie of all time was Forrest Gump, I couldn't argue with it. That is one of the only few movies that's universally loved in that way that it's okay if you don't love it and it's not your favorite, but you can't say that Forrest Gump is not a good movie. Shawshank Redemption, one of the most impactful, most parodied movies of all time. Every single one of the movies in this list is fantastic. 
except for the one I'm going to burn. So the one I'm going to keep is really tough. The Lion King, when that movie came out, you had kids running out of the theater having to be consoled in the lobbies of theaters because they weren't prepared for it. Tom Hanks gave his best performance ever in Forrest Gump. I mean, also the fact that you have three Jim Carrey movies on this list had an incredible 1994, Dumb and Dumber, The Mask, and Ace Ventura, Pet Detective. And I think that is where I'm going to look to pick the movie I'm going to save. It's going to have to go to Dumb and Dumber. Out of all these movies, if there was only one that I could continue watching every single day, I just had to hit play on it and watch it all the way through, it's going to be Dumb and Dumber. That's the one we're keeping from 94. And the one we're going to burn is the one I gave the least love to. Throw it in the fire, true lies. (laughs) All right. Movies turning 40 years old this year. All of these came out in 19. 84, it was seven years until I would even be born. Wow. Parents weren't even thinking of me yet. I was a mere glimmer in my dad's eye. But at number 10, A Nightmare on Elm Street. I'm glad that this one makes the list. I think the reason why it's so low down there is because didn't really make a whole lot of money at the box office. But later, through VHS sales and word of mouth, and the fan base spawned a ton of sequels which it's about time for another reboot of A Nightmare on Elm Street. I know I give reboots a hard time, but when it comes to horror, I'm okay with it because I feel like those characters just continue to live on, and I don't hate it. Michael Myers has had so many different versions, some of them good, some of them bad. There are so many Friday the 13th movies. Anytime they decide, it is the perfect opportunity to reboot it again, so we'll probably get one in the next four or five years, to be honest. At number nine, you have 16 Candles from John Hughes, who ruled the 80s. And I give the 80s a hard time because I just think the movies are very cheesy. And the 80s in general were just really lacking emotional depth. You had movies like 16 Candles and all the other John Hughes movies that were good at the time. And maybe it's just one of those decades where you had to be there. Because a lot of these movies that are considered classics from the 80s, there are very few that I have watched and actually enjoyed and would go back to. First one that comes to mind, Back to the Future, one of the best movies of all time. But a lot of the other movies on this list would be considered 80s classics. And I could honestly do with burning all of these. But... Again, I'll refrain from my bias of not loving 80s movies and continue on with the list because at number eight, you have The Terminator. At number seven, you have Footloose. See what I'm talking about? You got movies like Footloose with people dancing around. That was like the theme in the 80s. We're going to dance. It just seemed like everybody was dancing to pop music in this decade, which I guess we're all doing now, but on TikTok. Anyway, carrying on with the list. At number six, you have Police Academy. really remember the plot line of all the police academy movies we all just really remember the guy who would do the voice effects with his mouth that is the most memorable thing about police academy and apparently that was enough to spawn an entire franchise of these movies i remember at one point whenever i was just renting a bunch of movies from netflix back when you could actually get dvds i tried to watch every single one of the police academy movies but i think i only made it to about three because they get so repetitive the first one is good fine even but after that you don't really need to watch any more police academy movies at number five you have the karate kid which i'm curious to see the rebooted version that they are doing later this year with ralph macchio coming back and jackie chan being a part of that one 
actually think looking at the list, every movie in the top five is a quintessential 80s movie. At number four, you have Gremlins. At number three, Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom. At number two, Ghostbusters. I'm going to talk about Ghostbusters a little bit. I'll get into it more when we're talking about the new one. But there is such a diehard fandom for Ghostbusters. A lot of fanboys. Guys love Ghostbusters. I don't think it's a bad movie. I'm not going to hold the special effects to it because it came out in the 80s. But when I think of classics that I want on my shelf, I'm not putting Ghostbusters up there. And at number one is Beverly Hills Cop, and they're making another one of these. They're really digging into the 80s well. And maybe it's because a lot of these movies were made way back then. And you can do a lot of improvements now. You can make them look better. But I just feel a lot of them, you had to be there. But we do have to keep one and we do have to burn one. This one isn't even one I have to compromise to keep. I love this movie. I rewatch it every year around Halloween time. And it's still a movie that's scary. I don't care how old you get. The idea that somebody can kill you in your sleep is terrifying. The place where... Really, the only place I have peace is when I'm sleeping. And you're telling me a dude with razor blade fingers is going to come into my dreams? I am keeping A Nightmare on Elm Street. Fantastic movie. And also one in the 80s where they use practical special effects, real fake blood, to make that movie so much more impactful and look so much better on screen that if you still watch this movie in 2024, not all of the special effects look so hokey and cheesy. Because when you put real dedication into filmmaking, creating practical effects, it looks better 40 years down the line. But the movie I'm going to burn, it's an easy one. I don't really like dancing in my movies, let alone to songs from the 80s, throw Footloose into the Inferno. (laughs) Well, we'll do a double light on that one. (laughs) All right, and finally... Movies turning 50 years old this year. All of these movies came out in 1974, 17 years before I was born. But in comparison, my dad was about 14 years old back in 1974. So he didn't go to the movies much in Mexico. So I doubt he's seen any of these movies. Even to this day, doesn't watch TV, doesn't watch movies. But at number 10, you have The Towering Inferno. At number 9, you have The Conversation. At number eight, you have Alice Doesn't Live Here Anymore. I'm going to be fully transparent with you guys. I try to watch every single movie I come across as a movie historian, as a movie enthusiast, as a person who has a movie podcast. I have not seen any of those three movies. And I've read about them now as I was putting together this list. And eventually, I will go watch those movies, mainly because I feel like if I have the weakest decade, it's the 70s. Because even though I don't fully love the 80s, I've seen a lot of those movies. Having older siblings who grew up in the 80s, they love a lot of those movies, so I've been exposed to them. Comes to movies from the 70s, my parents didn't watch movies, so I was never really exposed to 70s movies. But I also don't use that as an excuse. Just because you weren't alive when something came out doesn't mean you can't go research it. So as a service to you guys, I will eventually watch every single movie on this list that I have not seen From the 70s, my weakest decade. Maybe I'll do an episode down the line just covering 70s movies. Hey, we'll go back in time. They had podcasts back in the 70s. This would be the one to listen to. At number seven, The Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Okay, from here on out, I think I've seen all of these other movies. 
Texas Chainsaw Massacre I've not only seen, but is one of my favorite horror movies. Leatherface in that one is so gross and visceral, and it's, oh, like the slasher movies and horror movies of the 70s are one of my favorite aesthetics. Just the movie trailers to 70s horror movies, you know, those real rough cuts, the sound design, the chilling voiceover. 70s horror movies, oh my gosh, I love them. Texas Chainsaw, one of the best. The Longest Yard, the original one with Burt Reynolds. Given my age, I am more of the fan of the Adam Sandler one. Back to the argument. Sometimes you just got to be there. And for me, I was there in the 2000s and I loved Adam Sandler in this same role. But I have seen the original one because when I first saw the Adam Sandler version in the 2000s, I didn't realize it was a remake. And as soon as I find out that a movie is a remake, I am immediately going over and watching the original movie. And also because Burt Reynolds is also in the Adam Sandler one. At number five, Blazing Saddles. Mel Brooks movies are films that I was exposed to more because of my love of The Simpsons, and they would always reference movies from Mel Brooks, Blazing Saddles being one of them. And I also feel as somebody who does stand-up and writes comedy, I listen to a lot of people speak about their influences when it comes to things that they found funny and things they draw inspiration from. And for a lot of comedians, it is movies like Blazing Saddles, Anything from Mel Brooks is highly influential. And number four is another movie kind of in the same vein. You also have Gene Wilder in Young Frankenstein, which is one of the best horror comedy classics of all time. And a movie that, of course, I didn't grow up with this one. I wasn't alive when it came out. But this is one that transcends decades and one that if you consider yourself to be somebody who loves film and you haven't seen Young Frankenstein, you got to go back and watch this one. At number three, you have The Trial of Billy Jack. Another one I'll admit I have not seen. And number two, you have Chinatown. I have seen that one. But at number one, you have The Godfather Part 2. Very few times I would say that a sequel is better than the original, but most definitely the case with The Godfather. Now, which one are we going to burn? Which one are we going to keep? I think the keep here is a pretty easy pick. It is going to be Leatherface and the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. And the movie I am going to burn, I could burn a lot of these. i let you know the ones I haven't seen. I'm going to go way down to the list, and because it has Inferno in the title, we're going to burn the Towering Inferno. Because I think it wants to be burned, right? The Towering Inferno definitely wants to go. So that is the list of movies turning 10 20, 30, 40, and 50 years old. To recap, these are the movies we're adding into the Movie Mike collection. So if we all had just a shelf where we were putting movies, these would be ones that would be available for all of us to watch. Based on my picks, we would have Interstellar from 2014, Harry Potter and the Prisoner of Azkaban from 2004, then we also kept Dumb and Dumber from 1994, A Nightmare on Elm Street from 1984, and the Texas Chainsaw Massacre from 1974, and the movies we all set on fire from 2014. We got rid of Boyhood. From 2004, the movie we never have to watch again is Lord of the Rings, The Return of the King. From 1994, we got rid of True Lies. From 1984, we got rid of Footloose. See you later. And from 1974, we got rid of The Towering Inferno. So that is the list. We'll come back and review Argyle, and then we'll talk about the new Ghostbusters movie coming out in March.
The Home Depot wants every mom to have their own outdoor oasis this Mother's Day. Whether that be a new space to relax or a beautiful garden upgrade, at The Home Depot, you can give mom a gift that's as unique as she is with a stylish and comfortable place to entertain or relax for the mom who does it all. And with convenient delivery, you won't have to stress over getting it to her either. Looking to step up your Mother's Day flowers for the mom who's great with gardening? Let mom's green thumb do some digging with colorful flowers, pots, and premium soils to bring out the most in our patios, walkways, and gardens with the Home Depot's Mother's Day Savings Event happening now. Get Vigoro Potting Soil, just $8.97 for strong, healthy, vibrant plants indoors and outside. Start your Mother's Day shopping and saving today by checking out the Home Depot's extensive selection online at homedepot.com or directly in-store near you with convenient pickup and delivery options. See homedepot.com delivery for details. The Home Depot, how doers get more done. Whether you're a savvy spender maximizing your savings with cashback rewards, a thrifty rate watcher seeking the lowest interest, or a travel enthusiast looking for extraordinary perks, Kemba Financial Credit Union has a visa to complement your lifestyle and unique needs. Apply today at Kemba.org to unlock a limited-time 2% cashback on purchases. And pay 0% interest on balance transfers for an entire year with a new visa from Kemba. You deserve a card that works for you. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2020. Spectrum One is a big deal. You get Spectrum Internet with the most reliable internet speeds, free advanced Wi-Fi for enhanced security and privacy, and a free Spectrum Mobile Unlimited line with nationwide 5G included, all while saving big. For the big speed, big reliability, and big savings you want, get Spectrum One. Just $49.99 a month for 12 months. Visit spectrum.com slash big deal for full details. Offer subject to change. Valid for qualified residential customers only. Service not available in all areas. Restrictions apply. Let's get into it now. A spoiler-free review of Argyle. I have been seeing this trailer for, I don't know, six months. And a movie that has spent so much money on marketing and advertising. And you have a pretty good cast here with Henry Cavill, Bryce Dallas Howard, Sam Rockwell, Dua Lipa, John Cena from director Matthew Vaughn, who has also done the Kingsman movies. He did X-Men First Class. And he did one of my favorite superhero movies, Kick-Ass. The movie cost $200 million to make. It's about two hours and 20 minutes, which is a pretty long runtime. It's an Apple original film rated PG-13. It's described as an action thriller. And I will say at the top of this review, I mean, there was action in it. It was weak, kind of lame, made for kids action. So what the premise of this movie is, Bryce Dallas Howard plays an author. She meets a real life spy on a train. He tells her that the things that she has been writing about, she's actually predicted real life events. So now people want to capture her because they believe that she is onto something bigger than herself. And that's really all I can tell you about the plot because again, we're a spoiler free show here. Everything that is shown in the trailer that's the initial setup. So she meets Sam Rockwell. They go on an adventure together, and then it's a spy movie. The tagline of this movie is, the bigger the spy, the bigger the lie. And that kind of plays out throughout the entire spy movie, as you can imagine, with a movie like this, a lot of twists and turns. So I won't get into all the details about that. So let's talk about where this movie went wrong and why it only made $18 million at the box office. The movie started off very, very cheesy. It's a very kind of cheeky play on the whole spy thriller. What you have in the movie, it goes back and forth between playing out things from the book and then how it actually happens in real life. So Henry Cavill 
plays Argyle in the book. So you have scenes from the book being acted out as either the story is being read or as she is writing the story. And I found cutting from that to the real life action was a little bit weird. I understand what they were trying to do with that, but it really fell flat. My biggest complaint with this movie is it's an action movie. The director knows action. You can tell by his resume, but he knows action in the R-rated genre. And this almost felt like the studio came to him saying, hey, we love what you do, but we want a little bit more of a family-friendly version of what you do. So they slapped a PG-13 rating on it. And what that does is it creates a lot of weak action. There are a lot of guns in this movie, a lot of shootouts and people getting shot, but there is no blood. So it very much feels like it's playing to a younger audience but all the themes in this movie are playing to an older audience. So I don't really think they had it targeted down of who they wanted this movie to appeal to. Maybe they also said, what if you made one of your movies and made it a little bit more female friendly? You throw a Dua Lipa in there, Bryce Dallas Howard, maybe that's a little bit more appealing. But even that didn't really come across in this movie because all the action sequences were beyond cheesy. My favorite thing out of this entire movie was the cat. I think the cat actually wrote this movie because it made literally no sense. And it tried to be very witty and thoughtful and throw things at you. But it was so poorly done. And it's surprising to me of how many great actors are actually involved in this project. You have Brian Cranston breaking bad himself in this movie. And it just was hard for me to believe any of their performances and the acting from great actors was so so bad and I like Sam Rockwell but he did not really do a good job at leading this movie and Bryce Dallas Howard and his chemistry was so off-putting and her character altogether I don't know exactly what they were trying to accomplish with her but it was so unbelievable to have somebody who is supposed to be so smart be an author be so clueless through the better part of this movie, a lot of the details just didn't really add up for me. And as I'm watching this movie and thinking about who exactly was this movie made for, I feel like the premise of Argyle and the entire story probably would have worked better as an animated film. There were some elements of that with Argyle having like action figures. And when I saw that action figure, I thought, that's what this movie needs to be. It needs to be a spy animated movie because everything is so outlandish and just so cheesy that it would probably work better if they took this story and could even be a hit if they just made it directly for kids. With all these people voicing these characters, it probably would have been a much better film. Argyle had one of the worst scenes in any movie I've seen in such a long time. I watched this one scene in particular and thought, this is the dumbest thing I have ever seen. How did anybody think that this was going to work? I felt dumber after watching this scene. And then not only did that scene completely fall flat, but they followed it up with an even dumber scene. So this was one of the most pointless movies I have ever seen. And to think they spent $200 million on this garbage. You could have paid me 40 bucks and an iced coffee and I probably could have made a better movie. And I got sad every time I saw Henry Cavill on screen thinking that, man, he was supposed to come back as Superman because I do think Henry Cavill is a good actor and he is such a great Superman. And to think 
He was all teed up to come back as Superman. He left his job on The Witcher, and then they left him high and dry, and now he's not going to be Superman again. Instead, he needed money, so he made this Argyle movie. I just can't wrap my head around who thought all the elements in this movie were going to work. An interesting play, though, from Apple, who is kind of getting back into putting their movies out in theaters before they put it on their streaming service to kind of see how they do. And they spent a lot of money on this movie, not only with making it, but also with the promotion. I kind of forgot that it was an Apple original until I pulled up Apple to watch Masters of the Air. And there it was, front and center, Argyle. So they probably put it out because they do have a lot of big names attached to it. It's also February, which is a slower month at the movies. And they thought, okay, we could put this out right now. Doesn't have a whole lot of competition. What's the worst that could happen? And now that people know it's not a great movie, it's not to motivate those people who haven't subscribed to your service or even those who are already Apple TV subscribers to go and click it whenever you decide to add it. So maybe they were just trying to make a little bit of money back on this movie, but I feel like they're not up to a good start with kind of diminishing what their movies have set out to be, which they kind of have one tier of putting out Martin Scorsese movies and the other tier of putting out movies like this or movies with Mark Wahlberg. And at the end of the day, I really believe that this movie was just a paycheck for these actors. You look at the entire list of everybody involved, and yeah, on paper, it looks like it's going to be a good movie, but there are moments in this movie when I wanted to fall asleep. About an hour in, I was completely checked out of the movie, and usually when it's a story where you're trying to figure out all the pieces, put it together, and you think you have a theory, and you're wanting to see that all play out, I didn't really care how this movie was going to end. And then it just continued and continued to make me angry as it kept doing these ridiculous things to try to win us back in the theater. It's usually not until March that we get our first big bomb of the year, but to come out in February and already just, oh, so bad, I give it one out of five cats. And the only reason I give it a one is because there was one moment in the movie, just one moment where I was like, okay, they're kind of winning me back here. There's kind of some momentum going, and then boom, they crushed it. So not only is this a movie you don't need to go see in theaters, it's not even a movie I would recommend to watch when it goes to streaming. And this is the best movie quote I found to describe this movie. Just when I think you couldn't possibly be any dumber, you go and do something like this. And then I also felt like this. What you just said is one of the most insanely idiotic things I have ever heard. At no point in your rambling, incoherent response were you even close to anything that could be considered a rational thought. Everyone in this room is now dumber for having listened to it. I award you no points, and may God have mercy on your soul. That is how I feel about Argyle. The Home Depot wants every mom to have their own outdoor oasis this Mother's Day. Whether that be a new space to relax or a beautiful garden upgrade, at The Home Depot, you can give mom a gift that's as unique as she is with a stylish and comfortable place to entertain or relax for the mom who does it all. And with convenient delivery, you won't have to stress over getting it to her either. Looking to step up your Mother's Day flowers for the mom who's great with gardening? Let mom's green thumb do some digging with colorful flowers, pots, and premium soils to 
bring out the most in our patios, walkways, and gardens with the Home Depot's Mother's Day Savings Event happening now. Get Vigoro Potting Soil, just $8.97 for strong, healthy, vibrant plants indoors and outside. Start your Mother's Day shopping and saving today by checking out the Home Depot's extensive selection online at homedepot.com or directly in-store near you with convenient pickup and delivery options. See homedepot.com slash delivery for details. The Home Depot, how doers get more done. Whether you're a savvy spender maximizing your savings with cashback rewards, a thrifty rate watcher seeking the lowest interest, or a travel enthusiast looking for extraordinary perks, Kemba Financial Credit Union has a visa to complement your lifestyle and unique needs. Apply today at Kemba.org to unlock a limited time 2% cashback on purchases. And pay 0% interest on balance transfers for an entire year with a new visa from Kemba. You deserve a card that works for you. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024. Spectrum One is a big deal. You get Spectrum Internet with the most reliable internet speeds, free advanced Wi-Fi for enhanced security and privacy, and a free Spectrum Mobile Unlimited line with nationwide 5G included, all while saving big. For the big speed, big reliability, and big savings you want, get Spectrum One. Just $49.99 a month for 12 months. Visit spectrum.com slash big deal for full details. Offer subject to change. Valid for qualified residential customers only. Service not available in all areas. Restrictions apply. It's time to head down to Movie Mike's Trailer Park. When there's something strange in your neighborhood, who you gonna call? Ghostbusters. All right, today we're taking a look at Ghostbusters Frozen Empire. It's coming out in theaters on March 22nd. This is the second installment in this reboot franchise. They tried it with the all-female movie back in 2016. Ghostbusters Afterlife came out in 2021, and that one... We had a brief cameo from the original Ghostbusters, but now in this trailer, it looks like full-on nostalgia bait with Dan Aykroyd, Bill Murray, and Ernie Hudson now playing a bigger role in this sequel. We're also joined again by Paul Rudd and Finn Wolfhard, who you would know from Stranger Things. In this one, they are back in New York City, so also giving us some vibes of the original movie, taking on an evil spirit that's threatening New York City and possibly forcing the world into a second ice age. And as I'm watching this trailer, I'm thinking, for a movie to come out in 20. 2024 in the Ghostbusters franchise and to have the original Ghostbusters you see Bill Murray there in the trailer and to think it's not really grasping a whole lot of headlines is Ghostbusters still a valuable franchise that people care about and not just people who grew up in the 80s I'm here to answer that question before I get into more about Frozen Empire here's just a little bit of the trailer if there's something strange if there's something weird who are people gonna call what do you want? We're the Ghostbusters. Can I tell you something else? What? Buster makes me feel good. It makes me feel good. We're gonna need all the help we can get. Let's get to work. Call dark and horny at 12 o'clock. So some other familiar faces that you see in this trailer. You see the Stay Puff Marshmallow Man. You also have the first appearance of Slimer coming back into these movies. Sadly, there is no Harold Ramis who passed away back in 2014. But even though he's not in the trailer, there's still a chance they put him in this movie because with the power of CGI, he did have an appearance in Afterlife. Now, I don't think the first Ghostbusters back in the 80s was ever marketed as a kid's movie, but it seems to me that everybody who was an 80s kid loved Ghostbusters. 
Even though there are a lot of sexual jokes in that original movie, it's also quite political when you look back on the themes of that movie, of how they got started busting ghosts, and also all the loopholes they tried to do with starting a business. Maybe 80s kids movies were just a different breed and were a little bit too soft now. But I will say, out of all the attempts to reboot this franchise, Frozen Empire is looking the best. It has the best mix of what I'm seeing of new and old. But when it comes to it really hitting me in the feels of playing on my emotions and playing on the nostalgia factor, it's really not there for me. I didn't grow up with the original Ghostbusters movie, and really that's a movie that people just kept telling me was a classic. But when I look up on my shelf, of all the movies I consider classics, I never really go to Ghostbusters. I watched it for the first time probably in my early teens, tweens, and I enjoyed it, but I remember thinking, man, these special effects look terrible. And I think I rewatched some clips every now and then, and I still think to myself, man, the special effects look terrible even for the time. The great improvements they are able to do now is making all the ghosts look so much better. Although in this one, they almost still have that old school special effects feel to them. They don't look entirely CGI. They have a little bit more of that old school monster character. Almost even gives me a little bit of Scooby-Doo vibes, to be honest. But I think having that charm makes it feel a little bit more like the original movie. And after watching this trailer, I really think this is a superhero movie in disguise. Right now, there's a lot of superhero fatigue. I feel like the genre is just being pounded on with all the hate people saying they're over superhero movies. When you look at this movie, what are the Ghostbusters? They are essentially superheroes. And if you look at individual scenes from this trailer, to me, it just looks like the Avengers from 2012. You have these big monsters taking over in New York City, people running in terror, and then you have our heroes in this case, their jumpsuits is essentially just a superhero costume going to try and put an end to their evil plan. So this is what you got to do in order to make superhero movies in 2024. Just take characters from back in the 80s, the well that everybody's going to right now. Use the same formula and you can make a movie like this. So honestly, there is very little for me to feel excited about after watching the Frozen Empire trailer. Did they really think we were going to be hyped for Slimer? Because I am not. And even seeing Bill Murray in there make, well, the sexual joke like he did in the original movie, for some reason that doesn't really resonate with me. I feel like now Bill Murray just kind of phones in his cameos. So I'm not really expecting a whole lot out of his performance. I think if anybody's going to give it their all, it's probably going to be Dan Aykroyd or Ernie Hudson, who was so good in the original movie. So I honestly think I'm more excited to see what they have to offer when I should be excited excited about Bill Murray. And then you have Paul Rudd in there, who is always likable, but I feel like writers kind of put him in a hole of not really showing his true potential when it comes to comedy. And the clips they decided to use in this trailer, I just feel like it's the same old Paul Rudd again, playing up that same type of character. I wish he had a little bit more of an edge to him in a role like this. So even though I'm not that excited about it, by looking at it, it does seem like out of all the rebooted movies, it is the one that demands the big screen a little bit more. I didn't watch the 2026 version or 2021's Afterlife in theaters. These are both what I would consider airplane movies. If you happen to be on a flight and they offer this movie, I'm gonna watch it. But because I'm not the biggest fan of the franchise, I'm not really gonna seek it out in theaters. And they're also weird about putting these movies on streaming. I don't think Afterlife even went to a streaming service. You had to rent it and I was not gonna do that. 
But for Ghostbusters Frozen Empire, just because I want to see how big of a role the original cast is actually going to have in the film, and if they can't get it right after this one, I think I'm out. But again, that's coming out in theaters next month on March 22nd. And that was this week's edition of Movie Minds Trailer Park. And that's going to do it for another episode here of the podcast. But before I go, I got to give my listener shout out of the week. You can get one of these by finding my socials in the episode notes. You tweet me, you DM me, you comment on my TikTok or Facebook page, or send me an email, moviemikeD at gmail.com. The podcast is also on YouTube where I post individual movie reviews, youtube.com slash MikeDistro. Be sure to go over there and subscribe, especially if you miss an episode and you want to know if I reviewed a movie or not, go there, look at my library, and all of those are posted for you. And that is actually where I am going for this week's listener shout out. This week's listener of the week is Becca Hill, who commented on my Dumb Money movie review on YouTube and said, I finally got to watch this on Netflix and rushed over to see if you had a review of the movie. I love this movie, although quite frankly, I still feel like I don't understand the stock market. Your videos are always a great watch. Thanks for the content to keep me in a good mood at work. So thank you, Becca, for that comment. I love seeing comments like this whenever movies that I've reviewed finally hit Netflix and get people discovering the movies for the first time. Go back on that YouTube channel and search out any review that you may have missed. So thanks, Becca, for doing that. I always encourage you to go through all the episodes here on the feed, whether you listen on Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Make sure you're subscribed. Make sure you tell a friend. And until next time, go out and watch good movies, and I will talk to you later. This is it. We've got an Amex Platinum Pro on our hands, ladies and gentlemen. We haven't seen anyone relax like this before in the Centurion Lounge. (sighs) Is he connecting to complimentary Wi-Fi? Oh, my. Look at that. He is. And you will not believe where he's going next. The Amex dedicated card member entrance for the win. Unbelievable. When you get travel perks with Amex Platinum, you're part of the action. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Whether you're a savvy spender maximizing your savings with cashback rewards, a thrifty rate watcher seeking the lowest interest, or a travel enthusiast looking for extraordinary perks, Kemba Financial Credit Union has a visa to complement your lifestyle and unique needs. Apply today at Kemba.org to unlock a limited time 2% cash back on purchases and pay 0% interest on balance transfers for an entire year with a new visa from Kemba. You deserve a card that works for you. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024. This is Malcolm Gladwell from Revisionist History. eBay Motors is here for the ride. With some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Brake kits, LED headlights, whatever you need, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply.